Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So <clears throat> this sutta, the Salata Sutta, and uh, and the Bahia Sutta will do tonight, as well. The Salata Sutta, um, uh, the subtitle is the Two Arrows, and it talks of the um, how we get how the world inflicts one arrow, and we we inflict the second arrow ourselves by our reaction to it, and that's a reaction rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. Once understanding is developed, there's no reaction in, in a mind. There's no reaction in a mind that understands what the subject is. Um, and as I said last week, I think I did, maybe even earlier, we're at that part in this 32, it will be 33 class uh, study. Um, for the most part, these closing suttas are a description of what it looks like to actually practice the Dhamma. And so this sutta is what it looks like when you recognize eye-making in the moment, or at least you could say how to recognize eye-making. But it really is the reaction. When we feel stressed or distressed in our minds, we know that we're taking something personally. In the Salata Sutta, a question is put to the Buddha as to what is a distinguishing factor between a well-instructed and well-informed Dhamma practitioner and those that have no understanding of the Four Noble Truths. Now, a well-instructed, well-informed Dhamma practitioner is anybody who's actually studying the Buddha's Dhamma and putting it into practice. Uh, someone with no knowledge of Four Noble Truths could be someone who practices modern Buddhism, couldn't it? And just as today, the Buddha's making this distinction clearly between his Dhamma and what everybody else practices, and the distinction is also between a wise Dhamma practitioner and those that have no interest in the Dhamma as well. There, there's, there's those that class of people will still, be, will still be suffering their ignorance in the same manner. The Buddha responds, friends, listen and pay close attention. An ordinary, uninformed person feels feelings of pleasure, feelings of pain, and neutral feelings or ambiguous feelings, often characterized by us as, as boredom. It didn't get our attention. One well-informed of the Four Noble Truths also feels feelings of pleasure, feelings of pain, and neutral feelings. So that answers the question, what happens to me when I awaken? Do I become an automaton, a robot? Do I stop feeling? No. But we feel appropriately, we don't take, we don't take anything personally. When, through the sixth sense base, an uninformed person experiences a feeling of pain, they are sorrowful, they grieve, they become distraught and irate. The uninformed feels two pains, the physical pain and the, of the experience and the mental pain caused by the reaction, caused by the reaction arising from clinging to views ignorant of four noble truths. The Buddha continues, this would be like being hit with an arrow and then by request being hit again by another arrow, the two arrows. And so worldly conditions will always lead to something that could be stress-inducing, but they're only stress-inducing when we're taking these things personally. The same things occur, and will always occur. Birth, sickness, aging, and death, not getting what we want, getting what we don't want. 
in short, the five clinging aggregates, which is not something we want either. But here we are. We cannot take it personal, including the five clinging aggregates. Because if we start taking the five clinging aggregates personal, what are we doing? We're just continuing that feedback loop in our minds. It's simply to be recognized and abandoned. Anything else is grasping the arrow and sticking it in. Any, other, any reaction in the mind. The Buddha continues, as the person is experiencing pain, pain resistance occurs. Taking something personal, taking pain as personal, starts creating a resistance to it. What's that famous saying? That, that which we resist persists. Why? It's because we're clinging to the pain now by taking it personal. Pain resistance occurs, leading to resistance obsession. We now become obsessed with not, never feeling that which we have identified as objectionable. I don't want any more of it. And it leads to an obsession. Why? Because we feel we've lost control in that moment. Something happened to me. I don't ever want it to happen again. That's all this progression of eye-making. And simply saying, which is how we're going to conclude tonight, if I get to both suttas, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. As the person experiences pain, delight, meaning obsession, delight in sensual pleasures occurs. Reaction brings obsession as the uninformed does not understand what is actually present. The origination, the allure, the drawback, and the passing away of the feeling. Lorna was so good at describing this. Noticing the arising and the passing away of whatever the phenomena is. And jhana meditation is both metaphor and the practical experience of that. As we take our in-breath, it's phenomena arising. As we exhale, it's phenomena passing away. It's the perfect metaphor and the perfect practical experience of each and every, each and every experience of our life. When we aren't taking things personal, we simply notice the arising and the passing away. Something that is a wonderful experience arises and it passes away. We're not sorrowful because we understand impermanence. Something painful arises, we don't take it personal because we understand impermanence and that it will pass away. It's not happening to us, it's simply happening as a consequence of having a human life. As the uninformed does not understand the origination, the allure, the drawback, and the passing away of the, of the feeling, any ignorance obsession about this feeling of, of pain, pleasure, or neither pleasure nor pain, ambiguity, overcomes and obsesses them, simply out of understanding, a lack of understanding. Out of a lack of understanding, obsessed with what we don't understand occurs. What is that, what is that now? Craving. It's craving, but craving for what? It's craving for further ignorance. The focus is on ignorance. What do we hope to get out of it? What can we, what can we only hope to get out of it? Further ignorance. We're trying to resolve the problem of ignorance within the cloak of ignorance, rather than in, in, integrating the Eightfold Path as the path through that, through that forest of ignorance. It's confirmation. Yes, and, and so then all we're doing is reaffirming our ignorance. He talks about it before class. Yes. Exactly what that is. Yes, and that's what the Buddha is referring to as those that aren't practicing the Dhamma. They can only reaffirm their own ignorance. Let me continue. 
The Buddha continues, sensing pleasure or pain, or neither pleasure nor pain, the uninformed, the uninformed joins with it. The Buddha often talks about joining with our, with our suffering. The uninformed is joined to birth, joined to aging, sickness, death, and joined with sorrow, grief, pain, and despair. Through a reaction to the experience, the uninformed joins with, clings to, joins with and furthers their confusion and suffering. How do we further our confusion and suffering? Because now we've self-identified with something that should not be self-identified with. Of course we're going to be confused. But where is the confusion arising? Excuse me. The confusion isn't arising in the world or in the world's system. The confusion's arising within us. And it's housed by ignorance. It's founded by ignorance and maintained by ignorance. It clings to ignorance. And only, only addressing ignorance will resolve the issue. Addressing any other issue, and I, I wish Meg was on for this. Addressing any other issue, such as manifestations as race or poverty, or war, or disease, or famine. And thinking that is going to bring peace and harmony to this mind is a wrong view. The only view, the only view that is a right view is a recognition of ignorance and a plan or an eightfold path to abandon that ignorance. The Buddha continues, the well-informed person, when stress arises, has no resistance. With no resistance, no resistance obsession is formed. An occurrence, an occurrence, an ordinary occurrence in my life that used to cause a reaction and so continued eye making is simply recognized as an ordinary as an ordinary occurrence of human life, not to be taken personally, and so it arises and passes away. And I'm able to, to stay fully mindful of what's occurring without any resistance obsession. Why? How did no resistance obsession arise in that moment when it occurred every other instance for the past 65 years of this person, this human being's life? Why was this different? I should recognize it. Why is that different? Understanding four noble truths. Yes, 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 yes. It's only understanding of Four Noble Truths that brings the ending of resistance obsession. You would think that something that we resist normally, or naturally I should say, not normally because it is an abnormal obsession, we would recognize and quickly abandon it. But because it's an aspect of ignorance, in fact, one, one would say, I would say, not one, I would say it's an essential aspect of ignorance. It's a required aspect of ignorance. From ignorance as a requisite condition comes fabrication. It's a requirement of continued ignorance. And so it's also, recognizing that is also a requirement of abandoning ignorance. It's at that point. At that point of, of wise restraint, recognizing in this moment resistance obsession and simply abandoning it. So wrong restraint would just be the shoving down and trying to muscle your way into it versus developing yes. your practice. Yes, Sorry. yes, grin and bear, or reacting by, now I need to do, wow, there's a disturbance in my mind, i got to do 500 bows now. 
Or I just recognize a disturbance in my mind. Let me appeal to Awalakateshvara. Or there's a disturbance in my mind. Let me pray to Jesus. Or the disturbance in my mind. Blah, 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 blah. There's a disturbance in my mind. Let me deal with that. There's a disturbance in my mind. Vodka. <clears throat> there's a disturbance in my mind. Facebook. There's a disturbance in my mind. Golf. There's a disturbance in my mind. Sex. There's a disturbance in my mind. <sighs> no more resistance obsession. I had an interesting experience uh, a week ago. I stepped on one of these big cow killer wasps. And I was kind of watching the reaction in my mind. I mean, but the first you know, couple of minutes is just nothing but blinding pain. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was like, okay, what was that? Um, you know. Do I need to do something right now? Um, Which is an eye making, not human preservation. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> found a little bugger and put him in the trash. Uh, so I wouldn't do it again. Um, and then just came the, okay, uh, you know, this is pain. Um, all right, so there's probably impermanence in this. <laughs> and, and I was getting a little bit Im uh, impatient with impermanence at that point because it wasn't going away anytime soon. Um, Which pain will do sometimes. Yeah, and, and then it was just, okay, what do I do now? Um, it's 11 o'clock at night, I need to get some sleep. Um, you know, how do I do that? And so, you know, I f find some ways to sort of lessen the pain or, 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 or you know, dilute the, the, the venom and, and, um, but there there wasn't any of the this shouldn't be happening well, to me right. uh, yeah. that, that, was, that was a good thing and so you were able to stay it, it was a painful experience but you were mindfully present for it I, I so now pretty, you understand yeah, pain I was, I was pretty much there um, but I could see where, where this the, the, there's first the, there's the physical of reaction of like oh my god you know let me get my my foot away from whatever doing this um but after that and and after i've, I've gotten mm -hmm. some measure of breathing going um there was just a practical issue of okay uh how do we go on from here yeah and, and that was um but it was <laughs> was very interesting uh, phenomenon to, to, to deal with, with that level of that level of pain, which I'm I'm really not used to. You, you have a bit more experience in that in, in, in a chronic way. Uh, but uh, I thought I'd, I'd be getting mad at, at this yeah. state. You know, how, how dare oh, I yeah. yes, my space? I would have been mad at all all wash should be uh -huh. murderated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The uninformed yeah. would Take the second arrow very personally. Like, why did yeah. this happen to me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you yeah. Well, some people would even believe that that karma or God put that there because you got to get punished, and there you mm -hmm. go. And this, there, what, talk about eye making. So, it's such a good example of of what could be eye making, and how the Dhamma allowed you to just have an experience, a human experience, and you were you were completely present for it. You don't need to have another one, but no. that's what occurred. So, if that's what's occurring in my life. I want to be present for it, mm -hmm. whether it's as painful as stepping on a wasp, you know, or, or something else. 
but the point is, if I if I'm gonna be pre- if I'm gonna be present for the sunsets, the beautiful sunsets, I gotta take stepping on a wasp every now and then, mm-hmm. or I gotta, I gotta take a disappointing sunset yeah. as I talk about often. We don't. I mean, that's the, maybe that's a you know the kind of an underlying theme. You know, we could put it out and write it. We don't get to choose. Right, and you right. take it in the same way. It's all just what's occurring. Way, no resistance obsession arises. How could I lose anything? How could stepping on a bug or a tornado or a pandemic take anything away from me? How could it? Even if it cost me my life, it ain't my life. It's the understanding of the three it, I'm just living, I'm living I, have, I have a human experience for as long as I have it. And since there's nothing personal, I don't need it to be 100 years. And if I find out, guess what? It's only 65, you know, okay. What can I do about it? And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that I won't do some things in preparation for it, but I don't take any of it personal. And who, I was talking to somebody, uh, it was Meg too. It's worth the price of admission, isn't it? To stop taking this BS personally. You can step on all the wasps you want. Thank you. Let me continue here. As Ram was saying, they feel one pain, the physical pain, but not mental pain. It was a perfect timing, too. Just as if they were shot with an arrow, but not another, they would feel only one pain, the physical pain, and that was the end of it for Ram. With no delight or reaction, in sensual pleasure, no pleasure obsession occurs. The well-informed person understands what is actually present and understand its origination, its allure, its drawbacks, and its passing away. They do not become sorrowful, regretful, or distraught. They remain disjoined from pleasure and pain. The well-instructed person understanding stress does not generate a mental reaction to pain, pleasure, or neither pleasure nor pain. This is a distinction between those uninformed and those well-informed of the Four Noble Truths. A well-instructed person who has developed a heart with the Dhamma, a heart would always refers to the Eightfold Path, understands the arising and the passing away of all phenomena. So you really could say that the Eightfold Path is the path to recognizing just that. The impermanence of all phenomena, <clears throat> including the phenomena of the six-property person. When you really start grasping that, especially someone who might have had magical or mystical, mystical beliefs uh, instilled in them, such as me as a Roman Catholic with the mystical belief of heaven or any type of reward after this life, it can at first seem fearful. It can also seem deflating and lead to what's the point? But that's the great realization. When I ask the question, what's the point? Who's asking the question? Someone who's looking for a point to be made. There ain't no point. Any point would be a personal point. Um, since I can't see it, is that making sense to everyone? I really can't tell if I'm getting through. Yes? No? Yes. Okay. Things are just plain. Um, Always looking for, for a point is, is personal obsession. What what's what what is happening here to me is is the is, is when we're looking for a point what's yeah. the point we're looking for relevancy to this caricature I've made of myself and we spend our whole lives looking for that point what's the point what am I getting out of it in this moment what's in it for me and at times we're 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 not so obsessed with that at other times we're really obsessed with what's in it for me 
When we're starting to get frustrated in an argument that seems to be going nowhere, we've lost our patience with the other person. It's not because of the other person, folks. It's because we've lost sight of what's in it for me. Every time. Every time. Every time I'm disappointed in you, it's because I've lost sight of there's nothing left in it for me. Every time I allow the world to disappoint me, meaning another person, the world is always represented by other people, aren't they? It's me doing the disappointing. It's me saying, this is not what I want, when this is what's occurring. Yeah, but when your car breaks down, it's, it's an equal kind of disappointment. Yes, and that's exactly what I want if I'm going to use a car, because what happens to cars sometimes? By me getting behind the wheel of a car, I'm saying, if it breaks down, it's what I want. We cannot pick and choose in life. But the obsession with that, with the car breaking down, leads us to the notion that, yes, we can. Maybe my $20,000 car isn't quite right, but if I could just get that $40,000 car, then I can drive with impunity. And you get the $40,000 car and it breaks down. So maybe the $100,000 car will get me without any problem. I can be sure I'm going to get where I'm going. And I pull out of the driveway and some idiot runs into me. Why has it got to be other people in the world? Don't they see what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to get a common, peaceful mind, for God's sakes. Is that why you upgraded your scooter? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Even me. I got to have a fast scooter. That, 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 that Seinfeld episode was the best one, wasn't it? Where George is running away from the Craving. Craving for me. Craving for more and craving for less. Instead of just being with what's present. This is what's occurring in my life. And if we can do that, if we can really do that, then we're not excluding anything from our lives. That's true abundance, folks. It's not piling it up. It's letting it flow. Barry Sears was right. Anybody make that reference? I'd be surprised. That way. Craving and aversion no longer distract the mind or continue ignorance. Approval and reaction are dismissed no longer in existence. How's that for a restoration of the Dhamma? Approval and re- rejection are dismissed. They're no longer in existence. Think about that. Think about living in your life without the need to approve or reject anything. Because we do it constantly. That's stress thinking that I need to do asked, that moment by moment. Yeah, we're being asked to always approve. Oh, yeah. Project. And, I, and, and it, that seems to be that seems to be becoming the religion of the land now. Almost an insistence that we do that constantly. And, and in noticeable ways. In no, meaning other people should now notice our eye-making. And that, I mean, that's, that's really become the world's obsession. But another... And every, everything you say, it's like you're, you own it. You add, that's delusion. you. And that's the delusion. That's the yep. And if, if I can't find anything on you, let me go. If, if I want to destroy you, I'm going to find something. Even if it's something you said 20 years ago. Okay. There's eye making there, isn't it? You own it. And people do that because they're so sick of owning their own BS, don't they? And they become obsessed with dumping it on others. Look at the world we're living in. 
I mean, they, one of the reasons why I talk probably too much about this, what began uh, to manifest with the pandemic and all the craziness around elections recently, is to, it's just the perfect example of ignorance. And it's so, so perfectly, <laughs> so perfectly manifested. Let me continue. Approval and rejection are, dis- are dismissed no longer in existence. Now, no dust remains or sorrow or regret either. No dust remains or sorrow or regret either. For those that understand the Dhamma, they have left behind becoming further ignorant and have derived at the far shore of becoming, becoming awake. That's the end of the sutta. Let me go right into the Bahia Sutta. And you'll see the relevance. So this is how we get there, with what the Buddha just talked about here. John, isn't this uh, all about the, uh, the allure and drawback of sensuality? Yes, so this is, this is now that sutta pointed exactly to how it feels. This is what we do. But he was revered in his community as a person of great understanding. One day in seclusion, but he entertained the idea of whether he was an arahant, an enlightened being, or was he lacking in some key understanding? This, this sutta also points to the immediacy of awakening, meaning it's not a long, drawn-out process. But he has, has obviously done some work on himself, but also comes to, to the Buddha very, very confused about what his dhamma is. But with a little bit of clarity comes awakening. In meditation, a female diva, or but he is all mine, which is how we understand uh, metaphors, told him he was not yet an arahant. In fact... His current practice, with his current practice, he did not have the qualities that could give rise to it, uh, to enlightenment. But he asked the diva, or he's questioning his own mind, which is how we understand it, if there was one in the world who knew the way to, to enlightenment or awakening. The diva told Bahia of the Arahant, a rightly self-awakened one who teaches his Dhamma. The Buddha was in Sabati at this time. But he immediately left to find the Buddha and learn the Dhamma. He came upon a group of monks and asked if they knew where to find the Buddha. The monks told Bahia that the Buddha was on his alms round. Bahia went into town and came upon the Buddha. Bahia feared impermanence and uncertainty and was concerned that he or the Buddha may die die before he, Bahia, received the Dhamma. The Buddha was serene and, and at peace. Bahia placed himself at the Buddha's feet and asked, Teach me the Dhamma, awakened one. Teach me the Dhamma for my long-term welfare and lasting happiness. The Buddha replied, This is not the time, Bahia. I am on my alms round. Bahia pleaded, Awaken one. No one can know for sure the danger there may be for you or for me. Teach me the Dhamma for my long-term welfare and lasting happiness. Bahia's insistence is the kind of insistence we should have on ourselves and on our, our right effort in developing the Dhamma. A second time the Buddha responded, This is not the time, Bahia. I am on my alms round. Again, Bahia pleaded, Awaken one. No one can know for sure the dangers there may be for you or for me. Teach me the Dhamma for my long-term welfare, welfare and lasting happiness. Finally, Bahia relented. I will teach you the Dhamma, Bahia. Listen carefully to my words. Train yourself in this manner. In what is seen, there is only the seen. In what is heard, there is only the heard. 
In what is sensed, there is only the sensed. In what is cognized, only the cognized. Remember what we just talked about. This is how you should train yourself. When for you, there is what is seen, only the seen, and what is heard, only the heard. And what is sensed, only the sense, and what is cognized, only the cognized. Then, Bahia, there is no you in connection with what is seen, heard, sensed, or cognized. There is no you there. When there is no you there, you are neither here nor there nor anywhere in between. That anywhere in between is in reference to any fabricated self-establishment, any magical, mystical realm. No you here, there, or anywhere in between. This and only this is the end of stress and unhappiness. This end of eye-making, this and only this is the end of stress and unhappiness. Upon hearing the words of the Buddha, Bahia's mind cleared. Clinging and grasping, greed and aversion ended, and all self-referential views were extinguished. Bahia awakened, gaining full human maturity. Shortly after Bahia's encounter with the Buddha and his enlightenment, he was attacked and killed by a cow. The Buddha, upon hearing of Bahia's death, instructed some, some monks to retrieve the body and to cre- cremate it created pro- no, I'm sorry cremated properly and to prepare a memorial to Bahia. When completed the monks, knowing Bahia's awakening, asked the Buddha what Bahia's future state would be. So they don't quite understand. They're still caught in eye making. The Buddha replied, monks, Bahia was wise. He practiced the Dhamma in accordance with the Dhamma, and I love this part, and did not pester me with issues not related to the Dhamma, including where am I going after I die. Bahia, monks, is totally unbound. The Buddha concludes this by saying, where water, earth, fire, and wind have no footing, the four elements... Where the stars do not shine, the sun is invisible. There the moon doesn't appear. This is all impermanent phenomena, isn't it? There the moon doesn't appear. There darkness is not found. And when a sage, a Brahmin, through great wisdom and discernment, has realized this for themselves, then from form and formless, from bliss and pain, he is free. From form and formless, from bliss and pain, what is the Buddha talking about? Eye-making. It is from eye-making we are free. That's the end of these two suttas and the end of tonight's suttas. Uh, Let's go to Jane first. Jane, how are you tonight? I'm well, thank you. Uh, Thank you for the teaching. I appreciate the pre-class, too. I call that teacher talk. That was very good, too. (laughs) That was. Um, It was. I just appreciate the fact that we can't pick and choose what experiences we want to have. Yeah. I mean, and the sooner, you know, I accept that, or the more I accept that, then the more peace I'll have. Yeah. yeah. That, that's it, Jane. Thank you so much. And the more, the more we are non-eye-making and just, just accepting what's occurring, the more meaningful each and every moment is. It's just that simple. Good evening, Matt. Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody. Uh, John, this is great. I, I really like putting these two suits yeah. together. Um, I, they're personal favorites of mine, so I, I really like to see them together. That was great. And uh, 
it reminds me of a, an image that comes from Zen of the Zen saying is something like when it says something like a mirror reflects whatever is put in front of it. When you put yellow in front of the mirror, it reflects yellow. Mm -hmm. When you put red in front of it, it reflects red. When you put blue in front of it, it reflects blue. So this whole connection to That's great. Uh, the how did you say it here in the, in the Salata Sutta? Um, was yes here approval and rejection are dismissed, no longer in existence. You put yellow in front, it reflects yellow. There's no. It's the same as with in the Bahia Sutta. In what is seen, there is only what is seen. In what is heard, there is only the heard. So, the. Greed, aversion, and deluded thinking are dismissed. There's no me there. There's nothing there to provoke another moment of ignorance. Because what is seen is only the same. That is outstanding, Matt. Thank you so much. That's awesome. You left your teacher speechless. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, David. Hello, John. The, the, the two arrow sutta, it's, it has such great portability yeah. out in the world. And it's the one teaching that I always felt very comfortable talking to someone who had no background no, no uh, understanding of the Buddhist teachings and uh, within the context, but that seems to be the one that almost anyone can understand. Mm -hmm. They may not take it forward and truly understand the true meaning of it, but they understand that they shouldn't take it personal. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a, I, I like the word portability. You can take it with you and that's one lesson you can teach people easily. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, that's a great word too. Portability. Mm. I put it on the website. So anyway, work it in. <laughs> Hello, Ron. Yeah, I, yeah. I too like that that part of the Salata Sutta. Um, but recently, I've been uh, again this time that I that I read the Sutta um, and and previous time before, I started realizing that the, the way that the Buddha digs into the process further by going into uh, pain resistance and then obsession um, just to show us to, 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 to lead us into understanding suffering more uh, to really get the process of suffering like you just described now. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, just that. That, that was a, that was a, a uh, you know, and I had had this experience before, but when I read this this uh, this afternoon, it was like, ah, yes. Um, there's no pain obsession here, and there's no pain resistance here. I mean, yeah, um, flashes of it, but it, that part is is falling away. 
where you can have like a, a, a painful and, and sometimes mentally painful uh, experience and um, it can pass through you. You're still feeling it, it's still there, um, but nothing keeps hanging. Yeah, there's no room. Yeah, I mean, I, I, well, a good, just for the conversation, I'd be, a, a, an example might be a loss, a loss of a loved one right. would be a mental pain. And you stay present with it, you feel what is appropriate to feel, and, and it does pass because everything is impermanent. And it's only by taking something personal, such as that, that we become uncomfortable with the feeling. And we can't actually feel it through its arising and passing away. You know, I'm so upset with my sorrow, I don't want to feel it, that, mm. we, that we don't have the experience of it. And it, becomes, it really becomes an obsession when we getting past it, rather than just letting it be there. And you know, the duration of it, of the, um, the, the duration of the awareness of the sorrow might be exactly the same. But one, because if you're obsessed with the feeling, it's over-exaggerated and, it, and it's incredibly uncomfortable. The other is it's just what's present. And it's not uncomfortable at all. In fact, it becomes something, well, you probably can't say it's not, it's not unbearable, it's what's occurring. Right. And you don't yeah. take it, you know, there's no eye making there. You know you're not dying. Yeah. Uh, and then, even that and way. There comes a point where even when you die, okay. Yeah. I'm dying. Yeah. Well, it was cool because David said this earlier, and, and Ram, you, you know it too, and that the three defilements are are right there. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, pain, pain resistance is aversion. Pain obsession is greed. Uh, yeah. and, and greed might be I don't want any more of this. Right. I still mm-hmm. greed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And deluded thinking. Contains all of that. All, right. That's all deluded thinking. To requires it. Right. It requires it. Yeah. It doesn't take the pain away. That is part of your yeah. The six property deal you got. Yeah. And it, it prepares you for the thing you avoid the whole your whole life is this ending of this form. So to be deluded to the very end. Yeah, I think you're still trying to figure out a way to get out, get out of it. Yeah, yeah or, or at least at least you think somehow you don't deserve it. Right. With, with again, it's deluded. How can yeah. I? Yeah. If, for me, in order, I mean, life is a death sentence, isn't it? And for me to find meaning in this moment, I have to, I have to also accept that this moment's going to end, and that's okay. You know, if if this moment truly is enough, which an awakened human being would have to say, I think it is. Then the next moment, I don't need it. And if the, if death is the next moment, death is the next moment. If life is the next moment, life is the next moment. If stepping on a bee is the next moment, stepping on a bee is the next moment. It's it's just a continuity of life that that cannot affect me in any other way except the the immediacy of having it. And that's its only word to understanding, isn't it? Why? Because what else can we have? We don't have a choice but to appreciate this moment. And I don't mean just, and I'm not, I, I don't mean in an obsessive way like I always have to be in this moment. There's a very graceful way, an effortless way to be present with life as life occurs. And it's called through jhana meditation and refined mindfulness. And it is effortless once you get there. Julia, am I right? Most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had a very bad experience before I came here. Um, 
uh, today I was in a meeting in, with the school closing, you know, and all that um, at the end of the year, and the person who was in charge of the school, of course, said something that I did not want to hear. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, before the pandemic, I traveled between two schools, and one school is like an hour plus away, mm -hmm. and so, at, you know, while this whole year, I stayed in the one building, which is only half an hour away, in Doylestown, and so now they want me to travel all the way to Yardley, and I'm like, no, that's not what I want to do. But I wasn't like given that opportunity to say anything, I, because we were in a meeting with 40 people, yeah. and so um, the, the woman, you know, says, and, and Julie, now um, we'll have you here, oh, and, and I, I had to take a deep breath, because I was like, oh, no, you know? So then she, again, the meeting was going on, a couple hours later, she repeated it again, and I thought, oh, I, I, I had to take another deep breath. She must have said it four times. By the time I was leaving the building, I started getting really, I, I started to eye make, of course, naturally, and then I called Michael immediately. I was like, oh, I, I can't believe this. It's, it's, you know, uh, how could this happen to me? You know, I started doing all that, exactly the way that, that what's read in the sutta, all those experience and feelings that completely arose, overcame me, and um, then I had to say, yeah. like, yes, exactly. I was completely resistant to the whole thing. And, and then I, I actually, Michael started talking to me, and I, I said, I'm really eye making. This is terrible. I, I'm really, I became so extremely adverse to this whole experience. And instead of just taking a, you know, just taking a breath and realizing, well, okay. And, and I did say to you, remember, Michael, I said. Well, this part of the phenomenal world, and I'm actually taking it very badly. <laughs> like I was reading the Sutta. Embedded. In it. <laughs> and, I, and I said, I'm completely right. I said, I'm completely embedded in this, and um, I need to take a mental break, you know. Uh, but I'm driving, you know, coming home. So, yeah. and I said, I just need to realize that. Okay, so this is what's being presented to me right now. It's not a big deal. I have to speak with this person, obviously. Perhaps she will change her mind, and then she'll say, sure, I'll grant you whatever. Or perhaps she'll say no, and then I could say, well, okay, I'll do this, or okay, I'll leave. You know, so I, 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 I had to talk myself, well, Michael helped me too. I had to talk myself off that, that whole eye-making process. But it does, it does did work. It. it does work, yes, yeah. it, it did. And be, That's you know, dharma practice. In the, in the past, I'm sure that I would have continued spinning and spinning yeah. and spinning and more angry yeah. and... You know, because I started for months. Oh yeah, no, you can. I, I've done, I've done that for months. So you know, instead of saying, "All right, let's take, let's take a break from that, and let's realize that this is something that's being, it's part of the world. It's not a big deal." Yeah. This person has no clue. She thought I'm going back to my normal schedule. You know, so now we have to try to work this out. She may, she may be trying to do your favor. Exactly. So who knows? Who yeah. knows? So why worry about it now? Yeah. I, I, I well, was even telling Michael, who knows? I might present it to her, and she might say, "Well, here's a raise." Yeah. <laughs> so you can do this. So good for you, you know? Julia. So, that that is dharma practice. So, it, 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 you didn't. It wasn't not dharma practice that you got caught up in the moment. I got so upset that I got caught uh, up. That, wait, wait. Think about what you just did. You are you are using the dharma to decondition a way of thinking by conditioning your mind towards the dharma. That and that's in, that's exactly how it should play out. So really, congratulations! Good for you. Yeah, I want to be yeah. a little bit more mature, though. <laughs> well, what's, what's really <laughs> wonderful is that you—I'm—I'm I'm not kidding—that as you, there's not many many couples that would be able to practice the Dhamma this closely either. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's, that's very time. rare. So I want to hear what he to me, you know, What did he like, say though? What? I want to hear what he had to say because this, you know, oh. she had about see if he really knows the Dhamma. <laughs> she had about four 
about 40 arrows sticking out of it. <laughs> 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 it was beyond, very careful. It was beyond my expertise, John. That's why we're here tonight. No, you were good. <laughs> no, I basically You're told a deflection. I just, uh, I saw her reaction to it, obviously, and knew what she was going through. It's like, oh, and, uh, I just basically, uh, you know, she was worrying about things that, that is not in the present moment, so there's so nothing we can do about it. I was like, that's true. About what may or may not happen, so beyond this mm -hmm. moment. So why are you torturing yourself with this? And whatever... This is what you said? Yes. Yes. Oh. And he was like, well, you know, don't poke any more arrows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Running out of arrows. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> so that's what, that's basically what it was. Just Ew. don't fabricate, mm -hmm. you know, into you know something that might may or may not occur. It just that's the root of our all our problems. You were a Julius Domicon since I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, he was. He was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, we do that for each other. It's funny. But so we worked. You know, Julius okay, but uh, you could you could see you could see like. See the way it plays out. The whole, uh, you know, I making it's so like it, it's almost comes comes over you like a like a tidal wave. You know, you say, yeah. hey, you know, I'm practicing the Dhamma for I don't know how long with, and it's like, why am I reacting at this point? Shouldn't I have developed this this passion? And uh, you know what? It's always a, a reminder of how much further you have to, you know, and you should, how much more you should be pleased with your awareness that. You did see it, and yep. you interrupted it, and yeah, it true. was in place. Mary often speaks about her job, and it's high pressure, and you know, it's the, she often like says, "You make it sound so easy. It's it's tough in my job, and you know, it's not a pretty thing sometimes." But yeah. an un, uninformed wouldn't see any of that, and it would just wash over them. Yeah, so, them. Yeah. That's exactly what a practice is. Yeah. It's, so, it's, it's also, a, you know, like you can all actually... All of it. Take anything personal. You can actually learn from things that are like... You can learn when you're actually viewing the not-self. You know, you learn from what the not-self is more, you know, in the moment. So. Well, and you start learning the, pro the, the underlying processes. I mean, it sounds complicated, but you start learning the underlying processes that we create to maintain that not-self which is ignorance of Four Noble Truths. So it, it, it is not, and the, the understanding we are developing, this, whole, this is a good way to end this. This is, this is called Vipassana Structure Study of the Three Marks of Existence, Impermanence and Not Self-Characteristic and Resulting Stress and Suffering. So we're developing that understanding of, of the, the fabricated views of self and the world we live in. And none of that is personal. You know, it, it's very, very subtle to start um, depersonalizing our relationship to the world itself. In fact, it, it's kind of an aha moment when you realize that, that you have personalized the, the, you know, the, the core of the earth, the, the very dirt we, is, we have personalized, even though we might not be enamored with it. And so when we really start depersonalizing, it can seem pretty... Um, There's almost a palpable feeling to it unless we understand that we're not letting go of anything because the feeling comes and the resistance comes, the resistance obsession comes from holding on to these views, holding on to me. And the view is rooted in a me. That itself is a complete fabrication. So the, the point that I'm making is that we're, we're understanding not just the not-self characteristic, we're understanding the not-self characteristic in relation to its environment 
that the thought occurs in, I should say. Mm-hmm. Because it is two separate... Again, we, we tend to want to think this is all, all just... I mean, now, they, they, even scientists are saying, you know, this all might be one big hologram. And when I hear that, and I think about it, I think, well, that, it could be, but yet I'm in it. So, <laughs> you know, if, if, it, if it's true that this is one big hologram, yeah. okay, but what the hell do I do in it? Yeah. That's what I want to know. Which hologram am I talking to? Yeah, about? I don't want to know how to get out of it. I don't think you can. I want to know how to, you know, how do I thrive in it? That's what sukha means, by the way. Sukha and dukkha. Sukha mean, means uh, thriving in, within humanity. And that's what we're doing when we awaken. So that's enough for tonight, right? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, we'll finish with meta, as we always do. It's a small class, too. I, like, I was saying what I was saying to David. I, 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 it'd be great to be teaching in Madison Square Garden, but small classes have their own kind of appeal. Sorry, we're not good. <laughs> What's that? Sorry, we're not, we're not good enough. <laughs> the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, Free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Thank you, Jane. Peace. Thank you, Jane. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.